0: Here's Pastor Gary Wagner to introduce us to today's edition of Abounding Grace.
1: I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have done. I don't care what you believed before this moment. I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care if you were an atheist. I don't care if you're the most heinous child molester that this world has ever seen. This moment, in this room, if you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, even you will be saved and experience the transforming omnipotence of God in your life, and you'll not go to hell because of your previous lifestyle. The saving power of God is operative in anybody and everybody who believes in Jesus.
0: It's like a prize fight. But it's much like a prize fight where you or I go up against the likes of a Cassius Clay. It's absurd. It's ludicrous to think that you or I would have a chance at a prize fighter of that caliber. Yet, that's exactly what mankind does when it comes to God's wisdom. Hello and welcome to this edition of Abounding Grace, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. Our time together takes us to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-25, through 25, where Paul lays out for us man's wisdom versus God's wisdom. You know, nothing's really changed. It was thousands of years ago that man decided they were smarter than God and decided to try and build the Tower of Babel. To become like God, God destroyed that attempt as he has done ever since. Here today on Abounding Grace, we are made to understand once again that God's wisdom is supreme. And when we surrender to that wisdom, then we find ourselves under his rest, peace, grace, and everlasting hope. Won't you join us with this edition of Abounding Grace? Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Two weeks
1: ago, we began to identify a problem that Paul was dealing with in the church of Corinth that was causing so much division and schism and quarreling. And that problem was that they were allowing an old Greek form of humanism to affect the way people thought and to affect the way they looked at the world in general. And we saw that this old Greek philosophy of Hellenism is the root from which modern secular humanism grows. Old Hellenists of the first century, like the humanists in America of the 21st century, both believe firmly in the ultimacy of man. They both believe there is nothing more important or higher than man, and they mean that literally, without any qualifications, God included. The most important thing in all the universe to them is man. He is God. He has the ability to determine good and evil for himself, to distinguish truth from error, beauty from ugliness, reality from illusion. He doesn't need God. He doesn't need the Bible. All he needs is his own intellect, his own intuition, and his own experience. With that, he can get a good handle on life. He can understand life at its deepest level. He thinks he can solve life's problems. And his ultimate goal, since he is God, is to act as God and create A heaven here on earth to establish on this earth a utopia John Paul Sartre said the essence of manhood or to be a man is to reach toward being God researchers and politicians and educators and scholars talk openly about playing God and building a heaven on earth A utopia where there are no diseases, no injustices, no national boundaries, no God but man. No biblical Christianity. One great united world focusing on man and ruled by the elite. A one world government, a modern Tower of Babel. And I said there are three basic strategies by which modern humanism seeks to reach its goal of utopia. And they are, first, global and biological engineering. They seek to control the weather, to control birth, to control death, genetic control, artificial insemination, test tube babies, stem cell research, and the like. And the second point of their strategy is sociological transformation. Mind control, if you will. Brainwashing. Use the public schools and even the private schools in America, along with the media, to focus and channel people's thinking in a certain direction. Lie to them. Brainwash them that they may all look to Big Brother, the state, to work out all of America's cultural problems. Then the third prong of the humanist strategy of reaching a utopia on earth is status control of the population in every area of their lives. To use political power to make sure everything is under status control and so tightly controlled that nothing can possibly go wrong. That type of quest toward totalitarianism is something that is always inevitable when God is viewed as irrelevant, or when the culture views the state as their Messiah. We see this happening all around us. We live in a culture today that is even more humanistic than in the culture in which Paul preached We see a culture now that is committed in every aspect of its life to the ultimacy of man and the overthrow of God's moral order. We see a culture that is well down the road of biological engineering, way down the road of status control and socialism. And we look into the future and we see more of the same. And it scares us because we want our children and our grandchildren to have a free and a just and a happy and a secure future. We don't want to see more and more state control and more and more mind control and less and less liberty and individual responsibility as the humanists drive for greater control of this culture and the world. What kind of future Does America hold for our children? Paul was very sensitive to this dilemma in his day. So Paul presents very clearly how this crushing movement toward the supremacy of man can be stopped. Any real Christian thinker knows the Republican Party certainly can't stop it. After all, it's a part of it. Nor can the Democratic Party The institutions of higher learning can't stop the spread of humanism. They teach it as man's ultimate goal. And most of the churches in America can't stop it because they've been devoured by the monster of humanism. We are all well on the way to fulfilling man's dream of a world totally under the control of the superhuman elite. But Paul says there is one thing that can stop it dead in its tracks. God has not left us without hope. We can overcome humanism and end all of its influence and stop its cancerous growth in this culture. He tells us in verse 18 that our secret weapon is the preaching of the gospel and the gospel of a crucified Christ. That is the only thing that can stop it. That is the one thing above all else that has the power not only to answer every problem and every need in your own life, but to solve every problem and every need in the life of this country and to stop humanism in its tracks. Why is it? that the preaching of a crucified Christ is so powerful in destroying the tyranny of men? Well, our passage tells us because of three things. Number one, it divides humanity. Notice in verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. One of the reasons preaching is so powerful is that the cross of Christ and the preaching of it polarizes. It maintains the antithesis between the good and evil. The antithesis between the saved and the lost. Between those who are perishing and those who are not. Between those who belong to Satan and those who belong to God. And I'm here to tell you, beloved... Unless this polarization intensifies in all culture, there is no hope of stopping humanism. As long as we as Christians blur the difference between good and evil, between those who are saved and those who are lost, both sides are in great danger. If we blur the distinction between those who are saved, belong to God, from those who are lost and belong to Satan, then first of all, those who are lost and belong to Satan are going to be the worst for it. Because as long as you blur that distinction, it means the unsaved can't see clearly that there is a difference. The most loving thing we can do for those who are perishing is to help them feel their lostness and to see that they are truly perishing if we do not show the perishing that, they are, that there are people in this world who are not going to hell when they die, and that God is on their side and has a personal, intimate relationship with them, and there are those in this world, if they die right now, are lost, going to hell, eternally separated from God, then we are not loving them as God has called us to do. And when we blur the distinction between the saved and the lost, we are also hurting ourselves. When we don't keep that antithesis clear between the two of us, then eventually they make inroads into the church and we begin to compromise and our children compromise even more, leading to scars and stains and broken hearts and lost cultures because that distinction is not clear and the one thing that makes that distinction is your faith in the preaching of commitment to and application of the gospel of a crucified Christ it is not just God's law we offer this culture it is not just a worldview. It is a crucified, resurrected Christ who determines the destinies of all men. We must emphasize this, or we have no hope of stopping the monster of humanism. That polarization between the saved and the lost must intensify. The second thing we see in our text is that the cross is the saving power of God. Notice a couple of passages. First, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And another verse that is similar to these is found in Romans 1, and it says... The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Now, we use all of those words so frequently in our Christian lingo or vocabulary that too often we lose sight of their awesome power and implications. Let us for a moment just savor some of those words. To those who are being saved... The preaching of the cross is the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To those who are called, the gospel is the power and wisdom of God. Now I want you to notice five emphases of these statements from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Five fundamental statements concerning the gospel of Christ. Number one, they teach us that salvation from sin, past, present, and future, is based solely upon a crucified Christ, and there is no salvation possible outside of Him. The only way a person can be reconciled with God is to have his sins removed. Because those sins stand as a huge concrete wall between that sinner and Almighty God. And there is no kingdom big enough or strong enough to smash its way through that barrier. The only thing that can bring down that wall between the sinner and our holy God reconciling the two is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There on Calvary's cross, Christ reconciled sinners with Almighty God. God removed the one obstacle, the one barrier that was keeping sinners and himself apart. And it is only on the basis of that one man's life, death, and resurrection that anyone can have any kind of fellowship with God at all. It is on the basis of the death and resurrection of that one man that anyone can have their sins forgiven and be accepted with that holy God. And this is the great thrust of these verses. It is the saving power of God that we are talking about here, brothers and sisters. That salvation from sin and all of its aspects and the acceptance of a sinner with God is based solely on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and not on anything we have done. Secondly, the omnipotence of God is operative in the hearts of men because of a crucified Christ. Not only are we saved from sin because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, but the unlimited resources, the boundless power of Almighty God, is made available to your life and is operative in your life because of the death of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm such a sinner that anything but omnipotence is not going to help me. There has to be the exertion of unlimited power in my life to keep me from sin and to keep me on the straight and narrow because I am such a sinner. And the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ means that I'm not only saved from all the punishment and condemnation of sin, but it also means that because of that death, the unlimited power of God, the unlimited power of a saving God, is made available in my personal life to draw from it, so I can live the kind of life God has called me to live. There is a third fundamental principle in these verses, and that is the saving omnipotence of God is operative in men's life through the preaching of a crucified Christ. Not only has the death of Christ made this power available to us, But also as the message is preached, communicated faithfully, it is the very channel through which God's omnipotence flows into the hearts of men. Think about it. Why do you, when you come to church and the unfettered gospel of Christ is preached, leave this room touched, convicted, motivated, comforted, or even transformed Why does preaching affect us like that? Is it because I'm an emotional preacher? Well, for some people, that may be true. But, if that's all that's stirring you, it is not doing you very much good. But, if at the deepest levels of your life, You leave the worship service of the Lord Jesus Christ stimulated, realizing something has happened here. God did something in your life. Why? Because it is the preaching of a crucified Christ that is the means, the pipeline from which God's power flows into your life. The preaching of the cross is to those who are perishing, foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Then there is also a fourth principle in these verses, and that is the saving power of God is experienced in everyone who believes. It is experienced by everyone who believes. Notice what it says in verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Anyone who believes. Everyone who believes in Jesus. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have done. I don't care what you believed before this moment. I don't care what sin you've committed. I don't care if you were an atheist. I don't care if you're the most heinous child molester that this world has ever seen. This moment, in this room, if you repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, even you will be saved and experience the transforming omnipotence of God in your life, and you'll not go to hell Because of your previous lifestyle. The saving power of God is operative in anybody and everybody who believes in Jesus. Whosoever will may come. Salvation is given to all comers. All comers who believe. Now there is a fifth principle. and Remember these words because they are the thrust of these verses. The preaching of the cross is the saving power of God. Now remember, number one, that salvation from sin is based on Christ alone and not on anything in us. You can't earn it. Number two, the omnipotent power is available to you by faith because of the death of Christ. Number three, the omnipotent power of God is poured into your life through faith, through the preaching of the gospel. And number four, salvation is made available to anyone and everyone who believes in Christ. And number five, people believe in Jesus only because God calls them to faith in Christ. It says in verses 23 and 24, The preaching of the cross is to the Jews a scandal and it is to the Gentiles pure madness. But to those who are the called, it is the power of God. You know, salvation is given to anyone who believes. But the only people who can believe are those whom God invulnerably and irresistibly calls by His Spirit out of darkness into light. And He does that through His Word. So you see why the cross of Christ and the preaching of the cross is the only solution and cure to the advance of the cancer of humanism in our culture? It not only polarizes; it saves. It saves and transforms people's life. It is the saving power of God unto salvation. And so, my word to you is to keep these things in mind. Don't ever compromise these biblical principles. Have confidence in this gospel. Do you believe the gospel has the power to save anyone who believes? Even the homosexual and child predator and gang member who goes around terrorizing your neighborhood? If you're a believer, you of course believe it. So act like you believe it.